when you go to the doctor's office, you're usually looked at from the neck down, right? So the whole idea between the external, the internal, the within, we have this musculoskeletal system, right? Let's call that the external. So we have like, like muscles, tendons, ligaments, nerves, bone, and we have this like articular system and joint system that allows us to move and function. Then we have this internal system of, of blood and hormones and, and fluids, right? So it's kind of like the, the, the building blocks and substrate for the external, okay? With that comes food sensitivities and hormone testing and things that can affect the external, right? Then this concept of within, that's the what's in between that. What's in between the internal and the external? Kind of like what's in between the years? And that's one's mental health. And how often are you asked, like, are you happy? Did you have a good day today? How's your family? Do you love your spouse? Do you love your family? Do you, like, are you doing okay? Do you need someone to talk to? Like, are you doing all right? And we take, we take pride in knowing that we treat our patients like family and knowing that they can come to us for anything. This is Dr. Jonathan Hartman, chiropractic functional neurologist, former college football player, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. And welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. Today I'm excited to have on Dr. Jonathan Hartman, uh, who is a chiropractic functional neurologist and also a former college football player. Uh, we met on the, the shores of Marco Island at the <laughs> Iwano wedding, and I, I first thing that, that struck me about you was the camo hat that you were wearing. You know, <laughs> the, I, the old the old canvas hat. Yeah, I mean, I saw the hat. I've always been a big hat guy. I'm like, this is a guy who likes to protect himself from the sun, like myself, you know, fair-skinned. Uh, burns easily. Yeah, burned very easily. I'm like... We both have our hats on. I'm like this. This guy's gonna be my friend. So, turns out, we we are friends now. So, uh, John, thanks for coming on the podcast today. And can you start off by kind of taking us through uh, your football injury history and some of the the glory days stories? Sure. So uh, I was 14. Uh, I believe I was a freshman in high school, and um, I caught a dump pass up the middle. I think this was like maybe the second play of the first game of the season and uh it was a dump pass up the middle i got ankle tackled and no one hit me they just tackled me by my ankles but my head bounced off the ground and i get up from the tackle and i'm walking crooked and i'm actually walking crooked like in a half circle and my parents knew immediately that something wasn't right because i didn't know that i was walking to the wrong side of the field and I actually walked over to our opponent's sideline and I sat down in their beach in their bench not knowing that that's not my team and I'm talking like a baby like I'm blabbering and I can't actually speak sentences so um, the trainers came and obviously like ambulance is on his way and before my dad could even wait for that and even process that 
my parents took me to the hospital immediately. And I was diagnosed with a concussion. They found a cyst in the back of my brain the size of a golf ball. And because I had never had a trauma prior to that, they were not, they're not able to tell if I was born with that cyst or if the cyst was caused from the trauma of my head and like cracking onto the floor. And, um, but that messed me up for like a solid two weeks. So I was out of school for a couple of weeks. It was funny because I can say funny now, but um, I remember waking up. And for those two weeks, I remember nothing, right? So I was conscious, but just like sleeping on the couch. And, um, but I had no recollection of anything that had happened. I had, I didn't even know that the game was an away game. Okay. And, um, so that game was completely wiped from my memory. And I remember waking up, uh, and there was such an, like, it looked like hundreds of cards and balloons because my, classmates literally thought that I was go- I was a goner and that I was going to be a vegetable. It was pretty bad. What? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm very blessed and thankful to have now like pretty well, like fully recovered from that, you know. And um, but back then there was no impact testing. There was no like diagnostic criteria aside from, well, let's look at the film. You see his head bounce off the ground and he's not talking well. And the scan showed there's a cyst in his brain. He had a concussion, right? right. But and can, what year was this? Uh, 1999. Okay, so I think. You, yeah, so no one was talking about concussions no, like they do no, today. No, nothing, yeah. nothing, not at all. I mean, it. I hurt my back. I think my sophomore year pretty bad, and that's how I became a chiropractor and all this other stuff. Because a chiropractor. Um, side note: like I hurt my back power cleaning, and um, I didn't know what I was doing. And my coach uh, changed my life. I went to a pediatrician, and um, I went to my pediatrician at the time, and I had to go to an orthopedist, and I was supposed to have fusion from L4 to S1 on my lower back. Is that like career-ender, like you're never playing sports again? Oh, that's like you're not going to grow any further because it's not advised to do fusion on a child like pre-puberty. Right? Whose so, idea was that? Well, they're bad herniations. Like, so I had three-level, I had a multi-level extrusion. From doing cleans. Yeah, but it was too much weight for too skinny a kid at too early a time period, right? So it was a perfect storm, and um, my coach uh, had recommended that I see a, a chiropractor, and this was against the recommendations of my pediatrician at the time. And um, I had to sign all these waivers that I'm no longer under his care and yada, 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 because it was not – it was frowned upon to be seeing a chiropractor. And – I went almost every day for three months, and he, it went from my parents carrying me into his office to by the end of my treatment program, I was able to ride my bike to his clinic to get treated and then ride my bike home. And from that point on, I knew I wanted to be a chiropractor. So it was a pretty pretty amazing, you know... <laughs> It was it was amazing to have like lived through that because I'm blessed to say that I'm I'm so thankful for what I do, but um, those are some horrible times. Those are some like deep, dark, bad times because that concussion that prefaced the back injury was like the initial like cascade of like well things might not go as planned in life, you know. And um, 
And you had that understanding at that young of an age? Yeah, yeah, that was bad. So um, that was my first concussion. And, so uh, what do you mean the concussion prefaced the back injury? You think they were somewhat related? Or? No, I don't think that they were necessarily related, but just in terms of like uh, when we get to the idea of like toughness, right? And when we get to the, uh, the the concept of, well, things don't always go according to your plan, I kind of realized at a young age that, well, I, I might have these plans even as a kid, but I'm going to have to learn to adapt and overcome because I can't let this thing define who I am. Can, can you dig deeper in that? So let's go into the toughness piece. We're, we're okay. here right now. So what would you say your definition of toughness is, I guess, and how was it defined by that moment? So when I think of toughness, I think of resiliency. And I don't necessarily think that tough is being like, like the biggest, baddest guy on the team like who like back then yeah who's got the like the strongest four four uh, the strongest 40 who's got the best 300 yard shuttle who's got big hit of the weekend you know who's getting a t-shirt on sunday watching film you know who can power clean three bills but that was just in like one little environment that was one chapter of our lives and it was really important then and it was it was important then and it takes some understanding and some self-awareness to understand that that was then, this is now, and there's other aspects of our lives that we use to define toughness, you know, or resiliency. Um, people don't like their jobs and people sometimes might miss their purpose in life. But I can, I can still say that that guy is tougher getting out of bed every day and doing his job regardless of how much he hates it because he's still supporting his family or she is still supporting her family or they're being the best person that they can be about doing their job, regardless if it's above them or beneath them or whatever, it's serving for a greater good. And it's putting, I don't want to say it's putting your purpose second, but it's putting other people before you if you have to. Right. And, um, that, that toughness is, I think, like overcoming adversity. I think that that's being self-aware, understanding that when you're, when you're tough in the game, that's, that's great. But then you have to know when to be tough and resilient and, and support and provide for your family or it's to provide for your wife or your husband or provide, like as a clinician, serve my patients every damn day to do my job as a, as a teammate of this practice to make sure that um, there's 11 guys on the, on the team, right, on the, on, the, on the field. I do my 111th. That's all I make sure is that I do my 111th and I don't let my teammates down. I don't want to let my patients down. I don't want to let my teammates down. Um, taking ownership of one's actions and admitting one's flaws, I think that's pretty tough. You know, acknowledging when we screw up sometimes or when we do something wrong or when we get in a fight with someone or our spouse and, you know, we, didn't, we weren't on the same page. We weren't on the same level of communication. Just admitting when we're wrong, that's tough. I think that's real tough. And it's hard to be self-aware and to make constructive changes to better oneself, you know. And consistency, I think that being consistent and being able to produce on a consistent level day in and day out 
regardless of what that product is. Maybe that's just love. Maybe that's just producing love for your kids every day. That's tough. I think that's tough. I think that getting to the gym at 400 pounds when you're not going to see that scale move, that's tough. You know, um, caring for someone that might not be grateful for the work that you're doing. I think that's tough. Um, yeah. So no, I, yeah. Those are that's awesome definitions. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, I hope that there's a, a young buck listening to this that that soaks in because it took me, you know, I'm 20, almost 29 years old. It probably took me 28 years or 27 years to yeah. like kind of figure <laughs> that that's actually like what toughness is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it seems like because of your experiences, you might have kind of accelerated that process. And um, I, I don't know if I've accelerated. I mean, I'm only a few years older than you. And I, I just think that based on my experiences and some incredible people in my life, that they have taught me how to be more aware of that and to acknowledge how the environment affects me and how I can define some of these things now. What do you mean by the awareness piece? Like, how do you, what do you do to be more aware of? So that's like meditation, that's therapy, that's like guided um, self-awareness and, and practice of communication. And it's, some people just go through the motions all day and they're so quick to react to something, but they might not have the ability to just step back, analyze something, see the way that, that it's happening and then it's unfolding and it just because it's happening it doesn't mean that it has to happen to me right Right. and having that awareness to acknowledge that if this bomb is going to go off right now let it happen because there's nothing you're going to do to change it but it doesn't have to be affecting you because you can be in control of your emotions okay yeah, I think, yeah, it's like controlling your controllables. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Um, so back to the concussion piece, you had some significant symptoms surrounding that concussion. Yeah. That, you know, a lot of times, I mean, obviously all concussions are different, but you seem to have, like, the the gamut of it all, like, with that one. So I, I, w- I didn't have any motor deficits, so I wasn't wheelchair-bound, um, but I definitely had some cognitive like impairments, um, during that time. And, um, I mean, I don't know what's worse. I think they're both terrible, you know, and how this affected me when I was in school, I didn't really comprehend until like graduate school and like college. Cause I just assumed that when I was in high school that I wasn't as smart as other people. And it took me like a really long time to process things. And I wasn't sure if that's just me and who I am. And I'm just, you know, I'm not as, I'm not as smart as everybody else. And it takes me a longer time to grasp concepts and to under, understand, especially reading comprehension was the bane of my existence. Like taking the SAT verbal was probably to me at the time, one of the hardest things I was ever going to do. And it was like very anxiety provoking because I didn't know how to fix it. I didn't know how to express myself that I had that problem. And I didn't know who to reach out to to ask for help. I just was in like a, like a, 
I had like help with learn with uh, like teachers aides and stuff when I was in school and it kind of sucked not being in the same classes as the rest of my, sorry, as the rest of my teammates, because they're in all their like college prep level AP classes. And like John's not. So where is he? And that emotionally takes a toll as a kid because you define yourself by your peers or the absence of your peers. And when you start to see that, you know, you're in some of these classes with other kids and you're like, well, I don't think I belong here, but I don't know why I'm here. And the teachers must think I'm here because I'm not performing well. So maybe I'm just not trying hard enough. So boom, 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 back to the books, like try to work harder, regardless of how efficient you might be working, work harder, work harder, work harder. And like here now, looking back at that, I really wish that I had someone in my corner to help me explain what challenges I was going through. And um, so I learned to compensate for my deficits by just working harder and harder and harder and longer and longer and longer. And um, thankfully, I recovered with minimal um, like sensory deficits with minimal like balance disorders with minimal digestive issues, which by the way, like what a concussion can affect everyone differently. A traumatic brain injury can affect everyone differently because as the master regulatory system generator of the body, depending on where, what location your concussion affected that part of the brain can affect a multitude of different functions of the brain. So Anything from like digestive issues in the gut brain axis to like the vestibular system, which is responsible for balance and coordination, uh, the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for like executive functioning, reason, affect, um, regulation of emotion. Imagine as a 14 year old, like getting your bell rung, rattled a couple times, and you don't know how to describe the way that you're feeling, you know? And, um, Thankfully, I was able to get good treatment and my brain injury subsided and I consider myself fully recovered at this point, you know, and um, segue into college when I continued to play football and I had my bell rung a couple more times, then some like diagnostic testing started to come out where it started to govern like your return to sport, right? Some of your reaction tests and things. And um, <clears throat> call me stubborn, <clears throat> call me stubborn or uh, tough, but I wanted to keep going. I wanted to keep going, and I couldn't. I couldn't stomach the idea of being sidelined due to an injury. But I was tough. I was tough. When maybe the tough thing would have been to like hang my cleats up and to just know that. I want to be a physician. I want to serve mankind. I want to help humanity and get people better. And I think I can say that I've made plenty of mistakes and I can acknowledge them, but I wouldn't change what happened. I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, um, football taught me things that I don't know if I would have learned without it, like how to, how to take criticism my coach used to yell at me 
and because I screwed up. I screwed up and I had to take ownership of my mistakes. Not now where, you know, that's frowned upon, but I was, I deserve to be yelled at because I didn't do my job. And I had to learn that people are counting on me and I need to be held accountable or else I don't deserve to play. And um, those coaches, in addition to some of my teachers and my professors throughout my life, I will comfortably say that they are the giants whose shoulders I stand on. You know, when I got to college, uh, I almost failed out of school. I got a two, two, I hope my patients don't hear this. I got a, I got a 2.2 my first semester in college. I didn't drink. I just didn't know how to study. High school, I got by just learning how to memorize. I didn't learn how to contextual, conceptualize things and put things into concepts and, and understand. I didn't know that. I just, I was good at memorizing. And uh, that really showed its ugly face come my first like uh, biochemistry exam, my first chem test, and I failed. I failed. My chemistry teacher, um, he tried getting me to drop out and go to some like crappy little school in an inner city somewhere and to study a alternative healthcare field because he found that it would be easier for me to do, which maybe he meant it like out of the best of his heart. But I also know that it was screwing up his uh, like pre-med acceptance statistics too. So I ended up finishing that semester, not doing well at all. I stayed in summer school and I had to retake all my classes. I had tutors for the next two years for every, every science class, every pre-med class that I had, I had a tutor. And that's on you though, like to get the tutor. So no, Oh. I had two professors at my school, uh, that, that found a fire in me that I didn't know existed. And, um, Dr. Jeremy Tessier and Dr. Paul Meyer, if they're listening, I went to Muhlenberg college and I was a double major in biology and neuroscience. And, uh, Jeremy and Paul were my two advisors, and without them, I, I wouldn't have finished college because he looked me, Dr. Myers looked me dead in the eyes when I came to his office at 18 years old, pretty much crying because I'm going to be like forced to transfer. He looked me dead in the eyes, and he said, John, fuck him. Don't let anyone bring you down. He tutored me, Dr. Desaire tutored me, and then I had tutors for the next two years in my science classes to help me learn how to study. Not learn how to memorize, but learn how to apply myself. And that woken a beast because I never looked back from that moment. I, f- I went through college, I played the next four years of football, uh, I did well in school. Then I went to graduate school, uh, chiropractic college. I played rugby there. I graduated with honors there. And I'm still in school with the postdoctorals and fellowships that I go through because I love to learn now that I know how to learn. And school was hard, but I didn't know how to learn. And I, I'm 
so I like I keep saying like I'm super blessed because I have a lot of good people in my life that helped put me on a great path and um like my wife for example like my far better half she can help me be more self-aware and to understand and how to apply and like we come from so many different backgrounds but we can feed off each other and we have this synergism you know and that's I mean, that's why she's my wife, you know, and it's amazing. And, um, but at the time, like deep, dark rabbit holes. And, uh, I'm very blessed to say that I'm aware enough to know that now that those concussions are in the past, I've recovered and I'd like to spread that message. That it, it it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, throughout your story, I feel like our, the similarities between us are, like, even more ingrained because <laughs> with, like, the reading thing, yep. I had the same exact problem. Like, I just couldn't comprehend reading. Like, even, yeah, like, to this day, I have to read things multiple times to, like, fully understand them. And the SATs, the comprehension part, oh, yeah, terrible. Like, that's why I didn't get into, like, 90% of the schools I applied to. Um, and then when I got – did get to college first semester academic probation because like yeah I you just, did too yeah i just didn't know how to yeah i wasn't <laughs> drinking i just didn't yeah. know how to study I, so i was failing like crazy and then when we go back to like the accountability in the film room and stuff like that like after a football game i would literally be in like tears like after uh a film session not because like it was like oh kevin like you know you suck but because like my quarterback got mm-hmm. hit because yeah. of me because I didn't do my job and he got his freaking ass kicked because of me. And I felt so bad that my quarterback got hurt and it was my fault that yeah. I, like, took it to heart. Because he's your friend. Yeah. He's, he's your teammate and he's your friend. And you're going to feel that you let him down. Right. You know. And it's it's cool. So when you got to – you had those two professors. I forget their names. I'm sorry. Jeremy and Paul. So when you when you finally found Jeremy and Paul, and they kind of helped tutor you, and it was like this aha moment of like you you learned how to learn. It was a gradual progression. I wouldn't say that like within just okay. a, a blink, but I'd say like over those couple of years is when I started to learn to one gain my confidence, two not let other people dictate my future, and then three learn how to slow down, apply some concepts, and be a, a student of learning and not of memorizing. I like that. So I think you said that you approached um, you approached them because you were struggling. I approached them and told them as they were my advisors that I don't think I'm smart enough for this school. And I have been told that I should reconsider and pick a different school. Right. And that's but, when they said, not today, pal. Right. So, but you took the initiative to speak with them, not knowing yeah, the outcome. Yeah. I mean, but, I was desperate and I didn't know where else to go and what to do. And I knew that as them being my advisors that I had to report to them as a freshman and they being the beautiful people that they were were able to like reel me back in and say, you're staying with us, pal. I'm not letting you down. And just another example of toughness 
as a as an advisor as a as a professor of the of the school that they 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 did their job they did their 111th you know and yeah that's awesome and you know i had a similar thing too with a, a teacher so when i this, it was earlier on in my high school career but like it wasn't just reading that i struggled with i struggled with math as well and I would have tutors and everything like that in middle school and whatever, and no one could seem to, like, help me. Like, I struggled no matter what I did. And it wasn't until I had a teacher in high school who I actually recorded a podcast with, Bill Labrera. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was the same kind of deal. It's like I'm struggling. It actually happened after I broke my collarbone because I had, like, nothing else. I couldn't go to practice. So my coach was like, well, why don't you go get extra help in math because you suck at math. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I went to my teacher, Mr. Labrera, to, you know, get extra help. And just because he took an interest in me, like, he would take – we were doing like word problems like the next day in class. Like I go for extra help he, next day in class. He'd make a word problem, but like, it'd be like about me. It'd be like, so if, uh, Kevin Soms, you know, rushing average per carry is like this, you know, then he needs to get X, you know, many yards in the next game to make it this. Mm-hmm. But because he like took an interest in me and like cared, I cared more about like not letting him down yeah. on the next test mm-hmm. than I did about my myself. And I think it's important for everyone to kind of find that person to that that does like show that interest in you. But it doesn't happen by freaking sitting on your couch and like feeling bad for yourself. It, it takes initiative of yeah. going to see your advisors and like me going to ask for extra help when you suck at something that's being tough yeah exactly it's tough to ask for help it's tough to know say hey man i'm really struggling my english teacher in high school got me into college she helped me write my essay she helped me tutor me for my essay for my uh, english sats my coach helped me find a chiropractor like it's it's like frowned upon to hide how you feel and it's frowned upon to hide what your symptoms are but that doesn't have to be the case it's you're still one tough bastard when you can admit that you've got a struggle. This part of your life isn't going too well, and you need to reach out for some help. There's no shame in that. That's been like this, this like dogmatic bullshit. You know, like what defines a man of being tough? Like you know, the marble or a cow cowboy or something. And it's I think that being tough is just being like a. I think it's tough to be like a good contribution to society and and recognizing that we all need help in certain parts of our lives and being aware enough of that and being okay asking for that, I think is probably one of the hardest and toughest things that people can do. Couldn't, couldn't agree more there, John. Um, one more similarity before I move on to another one mm-hmm. is I was also I also have arachnoid cysts in my brain. And they didn't find that out until my head injury as well. So we got the cysts, we got the, <laughs> you know, the the visual disturbances, yeah, all and that. Um, all right. So, what was your transition to life after football like in terms of that uh, identity piece? I know that's something that I struggle with a lot after I was done with football and trying to figure out like who was Kevin without football. And I'm curious what that was like for you. So. In school, I had two hats, right? You have pre-med hat, and then you have 
jock hat. And when football player goes to like neurobiochemistry courses, that doesn't look great, right? There's like a social stigma in school where like the big dumb goofball in the back right corner who's struggling to keep up with the rest of the grades in the class. Well, it's probably because he's a football player. It's not because he's not trying enough, but going through that and learning two components. One, like how can you mingle with all the pre-med guys? Because most of them aren't playing sports and they have their own little cliques. And in my social life was all my teammates, all my buddies, you know, and all the other guys and girls that played on different sports teams. And there's a handful of them that were, you know, on our pre-med, pre-healthcare track. And it would, it would be a struggle to be an athlete in certain classes because I was, I was struggling academically, but it was stereotyped because I was an athlete. Them not knowing that I'm sitting in the basement of the library for six hours every night just trying to understand things that it takes other people just maybe an hour or two to, to get. And transitioning out of that, especially when I went to graduate school, was a bit of a struggle because I was known in the college as a football player. And then when I got to chiropractic school, I was just another, I was a matriculation number. I was like a barcode and you're in a class of three to 400 people and teachers don't care about your name. There's no coach there to, to care about you anymore. It's just survive and get through. And everyone comes from their own background. Maybe there's professional dancers or real estate agents or who knows? They don't care. So as important as it is to let let constructive parts of your life define who you are, you need to know when to say this defined me at this time as to who I was. And I think I had a tough time knowing when to put that down because I was so caught up in like uh, the popularity, so to speak, and not the actual social benefits. Like the difference between knowing is like Hartman, the football guy versus like Hartman, the nice dude, you know, and um, going through chiropractic school, uh, I mean, it's a real like rip the bandaid off transition. So it's just, you're no longer a football player. Your name is John Hartman. You're getting through these courses and then that's it. No one cares. And uh, I think that because I went to graduate school so soon after college, like I graduated and three weeks later I moved out to Iowa and then I started grad school. I missed every college graduation. Like I, that was it. I was done. Next chapter started. I didn't really have time to, to, to process that I have a different identity at this point. So maybe I'm lucky that I didn't have that hardship, you know? Right. You move like from one thing, right, right, right to the next like mission. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what that, what the path to being a chiropractor, chiropractic neurologist, uh, was? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, graduated from school in 2010. Then, um, I was studying under, uh, some, wonderful people at Palmer College of Chiropractic. And I went through a postdoctoral program in rehabilitation and learned the aspects of 
the other half of the body, right? Is chiropractors like or master diagnosticians of like musculoskeletal disorders, but we need some more training in rehabilitation. So the American Chiropractic Rehabilitation Board put together this wonderful diplomate program that I went through, learned a ton, and then uh, along came Rochelle. And um, I had been in practice a couple of years and things were great. And I met a patient and uh, she was in a car accident. And um, she was driving a car on like 78 or 80 or something. And she was hit by a drunk driver. And she regains control. She pulls over to the emergency lane. And as she's waiting for the ambulance, uh, she gets plowed by a tractor trailer. And um, the only thing that saved her life was the size of the truck that she was in. And uh, she was medevaced out, you know, the whole nine. And um, she was put in UPenn's intensive care unit for 18 months. And uh, she somehow finds her way to my office. And uh, she asked for help. And it, I, I didn't know how to help her. And it crushed me. And uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't sleep knowing that this person was suffering and I didn't know how to help her. And uh, I was practicing with a, a colleague. His name is Eric, another great friend. And um, he had mentioned that there was this program called the Carrick Institute that's coming to New Jersey. And uh, they're doing this uh, neurology diplomate program. It's the first time it's offered in New Jersey. You should come and take it with me. And at the time, I was so rehab, myofascial oriented. I was like, I don't need to take this. But I was such a competitive prick. I would feel guilty if he started the program and I didn't. <laughs> and then I thought about Rochelle. And then I, I have to take this. And I was talking to another good buddy of mine, John, out in Chicago. And we just said, like, we got to get this done. So I signed up for it. I went to the first class. And the professors there uh, rocked my world. I mean, rocked my world. And I'm a student forever. And that first day that I walked out of that, I felt so numb from the information that just came into me that I needed a solid month just to process, forget about understanding, just process the, the depth and applications of how some of these amazing physicians are using neurology to help people with concussions and traumatic brain injuries and vestibular disorders and movement disorders and Parkinson's, you name it. And they look at the world through the lens of a different film. And it took me down a rabbit hole that I always kept Rochelle in the back of my head. And because of that program, it gave me another skill set that I'm forever indebted to because understanding to a deeper level other aspects of our body to help, pe to help people is 
the most fulfilling the the most fulfilling thing in the world that I feel so blessed as a human being that I get the opportunity to learn. Forget about how academically rigorous and challenging this is. There's a reason why when I took this test or when I took these 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 programs, 37 people in the world completed. When I took it in 2017, something like that, it's not easy and it's 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 like sacrifice doesn't do it justice. Without my wife, I couldn't have done it. it there's no way that that can get done without a, like a team of people to help you get through that. And you come out on top getting to help people like poor Rochelle, who um, was a veterinary tech, very smart young woman, but she could barely drive. She couldn't drive. If she read three words, she'd go cross-eyed, and then she'd faint. She could barely stand, and she had some, like, autonomic issues with, like, blood pressure regulation and things like that, too. And um, because of that program, we were able to help her in a way to improve her quality of life that that card has sat on my desk since I met her. And that card was a couple of years after our treatment where she moved. She's living well now. And, you know, that card says in, in this entire, this whole thing, she's saying, thank you. Because I believed in you when you didn't believe in yourself. And thank you for going through what you did to help me. And um, when times get tough for me and I look at this and I think about there's people out there that need our help. It's programs like this that have afforded me the opportunity to get to help people on a level that I didn't know existed and that other people might not know exists. You know? Yeah, that's an amazing why in, in the story to kind of lead down the path of what led you to become a chiropractic uh, functional neurologist. Uh, I could see, you know, the, I like how it's like the competitiveness, the uh, Rochelle, <laughs> there's all these like this perfect storm and, you know, your work ethic to, to get through something that's obviously, you know, tremendously difficult. Thank you. And I actually just interviewed a, a chiropractor, you know, two hours before I came to your office. No kidding. Yeah. Cool. And I was telling him that I was going to interview you and uh -huh. I told him that you're a chiropractic neurologist. He's like, dude, he must be like really freaking smart because no he's just he's, hard uh, working. <laughs> yeah because th that's like no joke um but yeah i just thought that was that was funny um so like the whole premise behind this field is we look for subtleties in brain function and subtleties in the in the central and the peripheral nervous system right this thing is like the master governing entity and when there's aberrancies in its functional capabilities its output is slightly different. Like when you have a stroke and you scan your brain, you can see, boom, it's right there. Like you have pathological structure that causes neurological damage and it's, it's pretty linear, okay? With functional neurology, we try to find things before they become ablative pathologies, okay? Um, like Parkinson's to be scanned, 
like when you do a DAT scan on a, a scan someone's brain, you're looking at the basal ganglia, you need to have approximately 50% destruction within this brain structure of the, it's called the basal ganglia to be diagnosed with Parkinson's. 50%, you're already that far gone. Right. It's There's... extremely hard to come back from if you are from that, okay? 10 years prior to that, there's, there's subtleties that can be looked for that we can help find and offer rehabilitative treatment programs to let's hopefully delay the progression of that or maybe even mitigate or avoid that path in life completely. So the idea of looking for potentially reversible functional disorders of brain of the brain or the nervous system is where we truly specialize in because there's a multitude of different conditions that that are under that umbrella, okay? Um, from traumatic brain injuries to dizziness to balance disorders to Parkinson's to attention deficit disorders and hyperactivity, it, it you've, doesn't matter. Like dyslexic children were finding uh, aberrancies in eye function and that they might have a problem with their ability of their eyes to move together as one entity causing dyslexia. So rather, or ADD or ADHD and problems with how they perceive their environment and its, its output is a, is a troubled child. So rather than just medicating and suppressing the symptoms associated with the diagnosis, what if we took a different approach and we tried to look for some subtle abnormalities in the in like a, a comprehensive neurological examination and focus on those and see if if this beautiful thing called a brain has a has an ability to heal itself um yeah i like that part of your practice because it's not just yeah like go to the the medication or yeah you're masking the symptoms and to me, I'm also interested in the fact that, you know, I had a, a serious brain injury and I've hit my head way more than I did that one time. So when I think about what my future looks like at times, it's a little scary to, to think about that, mm -hmm. to see like what I put my brain through. And like you see other guys, you know, who are in their, you know, two or three years after their careers in the NFL and they're diagnosed with ALS and they're, you know that's like to me that is like the scariest way to go like when i see those guys i'm like i can't even yeah. imagine if it's horrifying that, if that like to get that diagnosis or whatever and the i don't know you ever heard of team gleason i think the guy's name is steve gleason but he was he played for the saints and he like blocked a punt for the saints uh -huh. the year that they won they won the super bowl yeah, yep. Drew Brees. Mm -hmm. uh, and, like, that was the year after Katrina and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But they have, like, a statue erected of this guy blocking the punt that, I guess, got them to the Super Bowl or whatever. And it's this guy, Steve Gleason. And, like, two or three years after that day, he was diagnosed with ALS. And he's been, like, documenting his, like – I guess story like since the diagnosis, like through today current and like, it is like one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my entire life, but he's number 37 and that's the number that I wore. And it's kind of like a weird that's number. Bone chilling. Yeah. So when I see it, I'm like, damn dude, like it makes it real. And I'm like, it, it, it makes me worry, but it's cool to see, you know, 
the way that you practice medicine is like, all right, well, let's see what we can do now, you know, yeah. like before it manifests itself into something that's completely irreversible. And to me, when it comes to injuries in general, you have to take that approach for everything, you know, because something that doesn't seem, that seems minimal today could manifest itself into like some career ending thing that you don't even think about. We know so much more about brain injury and concussions than we did in the past that we can be more proactive. We know that there's so many different avenues to help rehabilitate a brain and a body. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's amazing how much research comes out so fast, so soon now that this is pioneering the way that we, we treat traumatic brain injuries and concussions from diet and nutrition to different stressors to uh, inactivity or physical activity and, and, and academic performance and how we can localize different areas of the brain depending upon the, the cognitive deficit that they might have from the neurocognitive testing that we do. It's, it's a, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing opportunity as clinicians because we can offer something that I didn't have as a kid. And I think that that's, um, that's, I think that's what I know my purpose is. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. And to see, I've, I've like, it's, it's exciting when you meet people who are like so passionate and have like energy. I mean, you just worked a 12 hour day. I'm sitting with you here at almost nine o'clock at night and to, to listen to you and like you are like you have so much energy and you bring so much energy to the table at a time Thanks, when man. you know most people sit in your chair after a long day wouldn't have the energy to you know to give but you care so much that like it can't not come out of you i appreciate it man yeah it's it's really cool to see uh well as i you know, was researching and trying to brainstorm some topics for our podcast, I came across your LinkedIn profile and you have a, a quote that I found was really interesting, especially the last part. And the quote was, my primary objective is achieving one's maximal level of health, be it from the external, internal, and within. And I was wondering if you could elaborate a little further on that, that quote for us. So I don't remember who I heard this from, but I was asked the question, how often does your doctor examine you from the neck up? And it was crickets. And I, I, I didn't understand that. When you go to the doctor's office, you're usually looked at from the neck down, right? So the whole idea between the external, the internal, the within, we have this musculoskeletal system, right? Let's call that the external. So we have like, like muscles, tendons, ligaments, nerves, bone, and we have this like articular system and joint system that allows us to move and function. Then we have this internal system of, of blood and hormones and, and fluids, right? So it's kind of like the, the, the building blocks and substrate for the external, okay? With that comes food sensitivities and hormone testing and things that can affect the external, right? Then this concept of within, that's the 
what's in between that? What's in between the internal and the external? Kind of like what's in between the years? And that's one's mental health. And how often are you asked, like, are you happy? Did you have a good day today? How's your family? Do you love your spouse? Do you love your family? Do you like, are you doing okay? Do you need someone to talk to? Like, are you doing all right? And we take, we take pride in knowing that we treat our patients like family and knowing that they can come to us for anything and knowing that we can help them understand how a certain aspect of their life is influencing a different aspect of their life. Like the emotional manifestation of physical pain is real and how the body can sensitize itself and upregulate their perception of pain somewhere on a, on a physical part of your body due to some other aspect that's not related to this is what our job is as practitioners to teach you. And to make you understand that I would not be serving you well if I didn't look at you in totality. So making sure that I address all these different aspects like the out, the in, the within, the external, the internal, and the within, that's what you deserve. And that's what I think is lacking in healthcare. When you said that, it reminded me of an interview that I did. Um, honestly, I'm blanking on the 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 name i've met so many people from doing this podcast mm -hmm. but i'll link it up in the show notes so if you hear the story and you want to check it out i'll link it up but it was with a guy who played college football and he eventually became an alcoholic um but and he struggled with this for years and went to aa and all this stuff and eventually he developed this like limp this like phantom limp mm. and he would get x-rays and MRIs and everyone's like, there's nothing wrong with your leg. Like, I don't know like what, what your problem is. And eventually he was walking around like the green in Morristown. He's local to where I live. And he was with his like AA partner or mentor or who I forget like what the actual title is, but he was walking on the green and the guy asked him like, when was your first, when was the first time you drank? And in that moment, he remembered that the first time he drank was when he was sexually abused by a priest when he was like a little kid. But when he said it, he healed his limp. Like he didn't have a limp after that, but he had this thing like manifesting in his body mm -hmm. mentally and emotionally yeah. that it, externalize itself into this like limp and until he addressed it it didn't go away yeah um but that that's but you're right like when do you go to a a doctor or anywhere anywhere that they're like yeah like how are you today like as a person and like your feelings so mm -hmm. it's it's very real um and kind of in the idea of assessments you know what kind of pillars are in your uh, assessments um i we had mentioned uh, in a conversation previously that you know we have food bugs toxins stressors and hormones so what what is that and why are those the pillars so i will credit all of this from a wonderful colleague and friend dr tom Culleton down in texas um 
wonderful teacher, wonderful clinician. And um, it always resonated with me the way that he looked at a person to see how this affects their performance, their recovery, their risk of injury, their their further and potential risk of injury. And quite simply, you have all these different aspects of, of, of looking at someone. And when you look at it, what kind of food are you putting into your body? You know, what kind of gasoline are you giving the car? What kind of fuel are you supplying that engine with? Do you have a parasite? Is there a bug? Is there some type of intestinal issue that we're not aware of? Um, sucks to be a woman you know when you you dip your hands in acetone you dye your hair you, you shave your body you, you you lather yourself in creams what what effects do those like chemical like shitstorm toxins do those things have on us we drive in cars we pollute ourselves every day we get you know hit with electromagnetic field radiation stuff all the time you get in a fight with your boss you get in a fight with your spouse um Maybe you have polycystic ovarian issues and you have some poor hormonal output or maybe you got Hashimoto's. Uh, by the way, you've got back pain too, right? How do you think I would serve you best? Like if I gave you a puzzle piece with like five pieces, like a big one of those like puzzle pieces for like four-year-olds, yeah. and I gave that to you with five pieces in there and I laid out the pieces and I said, all right, put it together. And then I took it apart, and then I had to do it again, but I threw half the pieces on the floor. I said, put it together. I said, I can't. How do you want me to help you if you don't want me to address those things? And that's the exact message that I got from Tom. And again, another path with regards to functional medicine that um, he has helped taking me down with exploring other aspects of healthcare and how we look for things in blood work before they become like true pathologies because it's much harder to treat it's much harder to manage at that point where before we look for these like sensitivity areas and we say hey you know what you're leaning towards you're trending towards this you might not have it yet but here's some ways that we can improve our lifestyle and prevent this likelihood from happening um, yeah, and when we went to dinner the other week, you had given me this uh, example of uh, scratching your hand, right? Yeah, so it's kind of like to do it in person means the most because it, it you can see when it starts to really hurt when you're scratching at the skin and you're seeing that every day you slowly pick at this, it slowly irritates the skin, but what if you didn't feel that, you know? And what if, again, this is another Tom-ism that he gave us, and what if that... What if you couldn't feel at at seven years old that gluten sensitivity wasn't a big deal? Because you didn't have any symptoms yet, you know? Or maybe you just reacted out of anger as any other seven or eight-year-old did. And, you know, 30 years of compounding on that gluten sensitivity that you know of, you start to gain weight. And or you start to have some hormonal issues or you get some pregnancy issues. And um, you find out that you have a thyroid disorder and uh, you end up getting thyroid cancer. And um, I speak of this because my mom was diagnosed with thyroid cancer about uh, 
nine years ago. I mean, knock on wood, she's still here and she's doing well. But if you're going to pick a cancer, pick thyroid because it's pretty slowly growing and it, it's, there's, a pretty high, there's a really high success rate with that. But sometimes you can avoid those things if you modify your lifestyle. And we know that there's certain foods and there's certain aspects that we test for that we can find those scratches like way in advance. Like, and and it's, it's important for us to be aware of that, to teach our patients that here's what the current research supports. These foods molecularly have mimicry towards these glandular tissues, which can contribute to these disease manifestations. If we can remove them, reduce the inflammatory autoimmune response, we can probably reduce our likelihood of, of, of developing these diseases. Are you in or are you in? I'm in. (laughs) So (laughs) that's a wonderful way for us to get to teach them or to get to teach people, right? Like I'm guilty of it too. I didn't know that I have it that I had a very high sensitivity and intolerance to dairy, cow's milk and to chicken eggs. And through the blood work that we do here, Within two weeks, I went cold turkey. I dropped like eight pounds and my knees had never felt better. And then this whole like fogginess of concentration thing, this whole like cloud got lifted all because I changed some aspects of my diet. Gluten, it's the most neuroinflammatory protein that exists. And the, the, the amount of academic battles and opinions is, is so exhausting now that you almost feel helpless that you're against this behemoth of like, we need grains to survive. Grains are good for us and dot, dot, dot. But I will practice medicine. I will practice science. I will look at the literature and I will give you as a patient the data and I will entrust that you will make the best decision, the best educated decision that you can. It's never for me to press my opinion as to how one should live their life. But if I can make you aware of how these aspects of your health could influence your well-being, then I've served you and then I've been able to serve you as to how these things can affect your performance, your recovery, and your, your vitality as a human being. So those pieces of the puzzle are what you kind of should start with to get your feelers on to kind of address, you know, if you're going down the right path or if you're not feeling great, maybe take a look at these and Mm -hmm. then go from there. Yep. Uh, So can you describe some of the methods that you've been using to treat uh, concussions in your patients and do, you know, these assessment points that we just discussed um, with the food, the bugs, the toxins, stressors, and hormones, how does how do those relate to if you're treating a concussion patient, for example? So we know that um, when there's a traumatic brain injury and when there's a concussion, that in a large percentage of these people, that there can be a disconnect between what's called like the brain-gut axis, right? So if this thing controls this thing, right? So if brain controls gut and sometimes from the trauma, we have a dysregulation now in how our digestive system works because... You know, if the brain controls the digestive system and there's an, a neuroimmunoinflammatory response here, its output is altered. 
Okay, so if we have altered motility, meaning poor digestion, we're going to have poor absorption. If we have poor absorption, we have the an altered ability to obtain nutrients, right? So now the thing that's on fire upstairs, the like the, the paramedics and the fire department can't get up there right now because you can't get good fuel there. So not only is the bell going off saying, I need help, I need help, but now the guys that do their job to get up there to help it can't do it effectively. So, and it's also depending upon like if maybe it's a high sugar, high carb diet or it's a pro-inflammatory diet and we're doing what we think is in our best interest because we're following like American conventional guidelines and that's not going to help a brain. So how being mindful that a concussion is such a, a sensitive entity. It is such a, a specific um, issue, and it's so fragile, right? Because if you get a concussion and within, you have this window where if you get another concussion within this time frame, it's orders of magnitude higher in terms of severity. But getting back to these pillars these are all aspects that can affect one's recovery from a brain injury or from, from a concussion. And conventional medicine doesn't always look at this. I'm not saying that they don't, but I'm saying that now we're exploring new, new means of research to see how these areas impact the brain. Yeah, the, the brain controls so much, and I think that's why it's interesting to me to look at it from a concussion standpoint, those, those pillars, because you don't even know like what is affecting your brain. And like, I've been- I wouldn't have known. Yeah. I wouldn't have known having not gone through, uh, the, the Carrick Institute and these neurology programs and learning from the greats of like Dr. Tom, I wouldn't, I would not have even have, of of, of put all of these different things together, but you get to learn and you get to, come in contact with some incredibly talented, extremely smart people and learn from this person, that person, this person, and then like a, like a spider web, they all start to communicate and it morphs into this like different model that we're seeing today that's like kind of unconventional. And it, it gives us the opportunity to look at things that we, we didn't know how to look at before. You know? Yeah, and I mean, I, I've been putting off this blood test for like, <laughs> m- like probably a few months now. I don't know why. I just like I think there's a lot of paperwork that went with it. They had like make me fill out this like really long questionnaire. I'm like, I started it and I was like, uh, and I somehow <laughs> jumped off the bandwagon. But after this conversation, I'm definitely doing well, it. Good, <laughs> good. Um, so as we kind of you know, wrap up our conversation here. Um, can you, do you have any like athlete success stories that you, you want to share, uh, you know, through the, through your years of, of practice? Um, well, Michelle, she hits me home because she, she was one of the first people that I had the, the pleasure of getting to work with. Um, and changed the trajectory of your career too. Yeah. I mean, she's, I'd say all every one of our patients. I mean, from the, the from the musculoskeletal people, 
but for the the sake of this podcast with regards to concussions and brain injury um we've had a few patients um that had a patient that was not in a sport accident but he was ran over by a car uh bumper to bumper at 18 years old and for the subsequent 42 years of this guy's life 42 years yeah yeah 42 years of his life he's had chronic pain understandably so if you're run over by a car and with over over a dozen and a half surgeries to to correct himself you can see the the tread from the tire like the scar up his arm for when he was ran over and He's had cervical fusion, but these doctors, like, saved him. Like, you can't take away from that, that these doctors, like, saved this guy's life. And he needed what he had, like, he needed this to be done to get this guy walking and upright, okay? But there's st- we all have limitations, and I have my own, and this gentleman had chronic pain, chronic back pain and chronic neck pain. And through some of the diagnostic tests that we were able to do with his tracking his balance, tracking his eye movements, understanding some insight about his sleep, his nutrition, um, all of these other, like his neurocognitive tests, all these aspects of his life, we were able to put a little bit more of a, of a unique individualized approach towards helping James. And it's it, it it's like a living testimonial when you see someone walking around knowing that you were able to help them and he's pain free he can sleep he can walk his dream was to work on like his 57 Chevy and he was never able to get down on the ground to work on it because he couldn't get back up he was able to be able to lift his arms over his head because of the radiating numbers and tingling in his hands. And we were able to put this guy on a good path and to help him out with all the different aspects from weight loss to strength and balance and coordination to better eye tracking and improving his perception of the world that he's doing, he's doing well. You know, um, one of our under, we have another really sweet patient, Jindy, um, she was in a bad car accident and uh, traumatic brain injury, and uh, she suffered diffuse axonal injury of the brain, which is basically when the brain rattles so hard that there's, think about this as like little mini strokes because it was so disrupted. I just interviewed a kid, Joey Maxim. He was in a car accident and had the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's paralyzing, the, the level of disability that you can be on. And... I am only one of many that have dedicated their lives towards helping these people like Jindy with her balance, her ability to walk without a walker, her ability to actually make eye contact and look at someone because the, the, the need to keep your head down and, let, and to shorten your visual field of what you look at because just people walking past you give you the perception that you're moving and then you fall that is such a a destructive um disabling injury and we've been working together for a while and 
I don't know who inspires who, you know, she, I, she inspires me because of how hard she's working. I know that when I give her her brain exercises to do at home, she's doing them and she's holding me accountable to make sure that I don't get lazy and she's making sure, well, I, I hope she knows that. I hope that she knows that it's people like that, that inspire me because the second I get comfortable, I don't deserve to be your clinician. And I will make damn sure that I will do everything in my power to get to help someone like her because she's putting in the same amount of work. And if she's my teammate, she's matching me on my work ethic. That's someone who I would want in my court for sure. You know? Uh, so where can people connect with you uh, online? So and on the social webs. <laughs> social webs, uh, Twitter, I'm at Dr. John Hartman. D-R-J-O-N-H-A-R-T-M-A-N. That's also my name on Instagram. It's also my Gmail. So we'll put it in the show notes. It's Dr. John Hartman, Twitter, Instagram, gmail.com. Um, we'll be getting a website up and running pretty soon. Uh, you can check out the one we have right now. It's under some construction. It's at thirdspacemedical.com. We'll put that in the show notes too. And um, yeah, let's let's try and save the world, make it a better place, you know? <laughs> I love it, yeah. But, John, thank you for taking the time after a long day to share all these great stories, share your own stories, share your knowledge of uh, the world of uh, chiropractic neurologists. And I also feel so lucky that I have met you and have become friends with you. And Amen, it's dude. cool to connect with you on all these different levels. Yeah. And I feel like we're like brothers from another mother. Kind yeah. of. Kind this of will not be the last podcast for sure. Yeah. And this is my privilege because to get this out to more people and what you're doing, we can't track how many lives we're changing right now, but you're doing something great. And like, let this, let this continue to grow and to shift the minds of the people that are listening to this because this is something spectacular that you got going on. So thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate that because a lot of times, like, I doubt myself, like, all the time. And I'm always like, well, I don't know why the hell I do this sometimes. But when I get feedback like that, it, no. it gives me an extra little fuel for the fire. So Good, dude. I appreciate it. Amen. Thanks.